welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. We can't see very many faces. Get You'll get used to it. Yeah, I can see. There's lots of people out there. This is what it's like to perform, right? You, 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 they're all here for you, but you can't see their faces. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can meet after, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're super excited to have you here. And, you know, Jamie and I both had the opportunity to interview you before tonight. And uh, appreciate your candor. Appreciate your, you know, your willingness to, to talk. I was just saying that, uh, you know, tonight's a guest that, that uh, is going to be able to talk about whatever he wants. The last few guests we've had, we've had people from the convoy who've mm -hmm. been sort of muzzled and aren't allowed to talk. So it's great to, to, to have you here tonight with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It'll be good. So we would just want to kick off with that incredible video that you made and you touched on it in our interviews. And it, your video went viral. So that's what we want everyone. Does everybody know what we're talking about? So I'll let Brian talk to it. But that video was absolutely amazing. And we it was the beginning of seeing how many police officers were on the right side of this. So can you speak to the, inter or the uh, video that you put out? Right. So um, I was actually talking to my wife when we were coming down here, just kind of going through everything again, like, when the pandemic started and and how things went and um, the, back in early 2020 when they started locking down all of Calgary and I was driving into work and there's no one on the roads and you're kind of going okay this is really weird like I've never seen this before like <laughs> I when have they ever done this before and I'm going okay strange um, and just doing my policing duties and the way that they talked was with their computer modeling, how many people were gonna die? It's gonna be corpses on the, on the road. Mm -hmm. Like my job's gonna be super busy here. Uh, <laughs> in reality, it wasn't, it was the same old, same old. And uh, during that, the height of that, um, I was working on the Beats. And the Beats is a downtown, um, it's a group. There, there was four teams of us and it was a 24 hour shift. Uh, shifting. I didn't work 24 hours, I worked 12 hours. Um, but it was all downtown and we dealt primarily with the homeless, um, drug addicts, and all those people that are down within that core area. And those people, you know, they, they sleep together, they shower together, maybe. Um, <laughs> they eat together, they share needles. They're not the most clean people. And you think, okay, these people will be dropping. Like th right. this is who yeah. um, COVID is going to hit first, maybe the elderly and, and then these people. Well, it, it didn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with these people all the time and I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing gloves. Same old, you know, I wear my hats gloves. And so I'm dealing with the same people and they're healthy as they always have been for a drug addict to be healthy, but they're not... <laughs> They're not dying, yeah. right. and you know, and then so the homeless shelter has two cases, and they call it an outbreak, and yeah. then they lock down the homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. So now you've got these people stuck in the homeless shelter, other the people that can't get in, and still they're still not dying like they said they were going to. So I'm starting to put two two together, and I'm thinking there's something not right here. This is not what they say it is. You also said that you would go into the hospitals because you're the fir you're yeah, a first responder. So I, I, I do go into the hospitals a lot because we're constantly taking people in there, whether it's a Form 21, which is someone that wants to commit suicide, or any of the homeless people that need attention. We'll actually drive them in a lot of the time to save EMS from doing it. And in the hospitals, they have all these... Um, like separate wards set up, even outside tents and within the ambulance bays. And they've got tables and, and chairs and beds everywhere. Never once did I see them used, ever. The only people parked in the hallway were the people that EMS brought in. There was no COVID wards that were filled up with people. It, it was nothing different than what I saw before. And I didn't see the nurses run off their feet. They had time to put videos together of them dancing. TikTok. TikTok videos. Yeah, chore choreographed. 
And so they must have spent some time because I have trouble doing the two-step. So for, <laughs> for them to get these big choreographed things with 20 people or whatever, come on, you've got a lot of time to be able to put that together. So I don't think it was what the government was selling us, right? Mm -hmm. They were selling us uh, catastrophe. Mm -hmm. They were selling us the world is coming to an end, mm -hmm. that you're going to lose family and neighbors and bosses mm -hmm. and... And it never came about. So just to fast forward a little bit, um, I belong to a group called Frontline for Freedom. At, yeah. And it was all CPS, sworn in civilian, uh, 911 operators. And then we allowed anybody else that kind of wanted to join near the end because we wanted to keep that family together. And we... Um, helped each other out a lot by just keeping us sane of what's going on and like, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Like, or not seeing what they say is gonna happen? Um, so within that group, um, it was getting down to crunch time where, um, sorry, it was getting down to crunch time where the police service was gonna come up with their mandate mm -hmm. of us having to take this job. And it didn't sit right with all of us, and no one wanted to do it, um, and we were trying to find ways out of it, of not doing it. All of you? They wanted all of us to no, do it. No, but that. you're all not okay with it. That group of ours? Wow. All of us did not want to partake okay. in that. And how many it, it, was in that group? 184 or something, wow. when I was... Holy. There was a lot. Um, and, and so... We were there for each other, and we got together and we had meetings and tried to figure out what to do, and um, just in there, so the pressure started being put on all of us, and you know, a lot of people didn't know what to do, and, and a lot of people have families, just like everyone else, mm -hmm. and they're worried about losing their job, uh, not being able to put their kids into sports again, um, all kinds of stuff, like not having money, and that once that pressure started getting put on, people started within that group kind of started pulling away and trying to figure out the easy way out for some people. A lot of people didn't, but there were some people that were. And at that point in September, I kind of, that's why I made the video. I was trying to, it was for that group. It was for the 184 of us. That's who I was talking to. And that's who I posted it on. I posted it on our group. And so I was talking to them and I was trying to rally them up to go like, come on, we can do this. Like, this is what we signed up for. This is what we wanted to do. This is our life, what we do for a living. So let's stand up. And that was the whole premise behind it. Um, so I had taken a call and I just said, you know, enough is enough. And I, I just started, put my, my, uh, phone on my steering wheel and I just started talking and I was talking to them and just trying to to rally them up as well because I was ready to go I was I had got to that point where nothing's going to hold me back I'm just I'm going to if I lose my job whatever Love it. and in the in the end I did but in the in the end that was a good thing because I provided hope to other people apparently from all over the world which it's funny how you put a video into a police group and it leaks out. <laughs> Oops. But it, it did, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for it. Uh, I shouldn't have put please share at the bottom. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it went out, and I got, I got people from all over the world. Like, I was mm -hmm. overwhelmed. Totally, Deb can probably... I, I was overwhelmed to the point of I'm crying because people were texting me and just said right on, thank you for finally someone standing up and saying what we're thinking mm -hmm. and giving us hope too because we're not the only people. Mm -hmm. And to me, that takes a look at my police work because that was my, that's what I wanted to do ever since I was in grade three. I wanted to be a policeman. And it took me till I was 34 to become a policeman because there was so many hurdles for me to get over, um, like my eyes, I, I didn't meet their visual requirements. So I had to get radial keratotomy before laser surgery. This, they actually cut your eye and it flattens out, kind of gory, but oh. it worked. It got me in. And then um, 
like writing essays and stuff. I wasn't good at it because I've been out of school for a while. So Debbie found me a tutor and off I went and I took all these lessons and learned how to write an essay again. And in that environment of trying to get on, I applied seven times, by the way. <laughs> Three in Edmonton, one with the RCMP, Calgary, and Winnipeg. Wow. So I wanted it bad, and that's all I wanted to do. And um, so to give up that, it was a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. And near the end of my career, I've done most of my career on the street, like face-to-face -face with people. Um, everything but three years, so 21 years on the street. Wow. And I've always wanted to do that, so to give that up was very difficult. And, um, but it was worth it in the end. So I brought it up at a couple of the talks that I've had and stuff, is that I had a purpose of being a policeman. I was really good at it. I'm more of a shy person, inward, like I have a small group of friends, um, but when I became a policeman, I put on my uniform and I would become that person that could protect people, run into danger, Superman. do all that stuff. And so, um, you know, it, it, was, it was hard for me to give that up. But I found, that was my purpose, but I found another purpose. So it went from losing my job to crying about it and then figuring out, you know what, there is another purpose. Look at all these people reaching out to me. And they want to hear Brian talk. I don't know why, but they wanted to hear me talk. So I went to rallies and I talked at so many rallies all over. I went to um, Ottawa. I was in Ottawa. So I, uh, that's a story. I'll have to tell you about that one. Well, we got to hear about that because, you know, the terrorist group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I've talked a lot. Um, more than um, is comfortable for me. Um, but I, I, I seem to be picking it up a little bit better than <laughs> I did at first, because I was super, my friends can probably tell you I was always nervous and uh, didn't know what to say and have cue cards and stuff, so, but. I still do, by the way. Oh, do you? Oh, I didn't bring any, oh. <laughs> I, I did bring one cue card, but uh, I put it away. Um, so I've been to Ottawa, um, I went, um, with a group, uh, Take Back Your Freedoms. So we went there. I was the driver. We rented a van, and five of us in a van drove straight. Wow. Through. I was the driver. I slept for five hours all the way down. It was harrowing. Like, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I drove in the worst conditions ever as a policeman because those conditions were way worse than I've ever driven in here. In a rented van with just standard <laughs> tires, like... God was looking out for me because <laughs> mm -hmm. it was quite something. Well, you're so, doing God's work. Yeah, I guess. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Truth. Pardon me? Speaking truth. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So the reason I made that video was for my small group. But what it turned out to be is that it actually spurred me on to do something different in my life uh, as well. So it was ten, a 10-minute ten turning point for me, really. 10 minute and one second. But it was a turning point for me in, in what I, I do now. So that's kind of a little bit of the story about why that video came into being anyway. So you were one year away from retiring. Why didn't you see what happens and try to drag it out until your retirement day or go on stress? Great question. So they relieved me of duty on October, in October. And I was relieved of duty because I was insubordinate, not, yeah, uh, not listening to their mandate and not obeying them. Yep. And I spent 45 minutes in my inspector's office uh, explaining to him why I wouldn't do it. And he kept asking me the same questions over again. And I said to him, I said, why are you doing this? Wow. Just following orders. Hmm. That's what he said? That's exactly what he said to me. I recorded the whole thing on my phone because I wanted it for, to listen to it later. This is exactly what he said. I'm just following orders. Because I said, you can't believe all this stuff. Well, I got to do what they asked me to do. 
So he relieved me of duty. I piled up all my equipment on his little round desk in his office. My brother was there and um, another girl, a policeman, a policewoman named Carmen. So she came in and stood with me. So my brother and Carmen stood there the whole time while they were doing this to me. So talk about stand-up people. Those are two really stand-up people mm -hmm. in my life that, that they could do that. Yeah. So they relieved me of duty. Uh, I got sent home with pay for two weeks because they can't legally, right. on, and a policeman, right. you, you, can't, you can't tell them that they're going home without pay. You have to go through a process. So their process was is that the paperwork they signed on me, they didn't even fill in the boxes or put on there why they were doing it. So the first amount of paperwork they gave me was incorrect. So they called me in in two weeks later to reserve me again, the exact same thing. Now, this was someone above him now that was serving me. And so he serves me. And then they served me another piece of paper that Chief Mark Newfield wrote up. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, he goes, uh, he, does, he does this whole explanation of my behavior and what I've done and not following the orders that I have. And um, he says that my, um, my actions were so egregious, so egregious, the bad of the bad, worst. So this is like, I was the worst. <laughs> I, I'm the worst policeman that's ever acted and did anything. So they were after my job at that point. So once he gives me that piece of paper, now I'm relieved of duty without pay. So I have pay for two weeks, and now I have no pay. And so this is all before the videos come out. So then on my birthday, <laughs> at night, just before I went to bed, I put the video in our group, and the next day it kind of went um, kind Now of, the, the police of. service had no idea what to do with that. So it was out there, and they're going, uh, um, <laughs> now, what do we, now what do we do? What is, so, yeah. I, ne I never did get charged for that. They never did add another charge to that. Um, but what they did is they gave me a written order not to speak about their COVID policy mm -hmm. or speak at any rallies or anything in public. A written order. I have that at home, too. It's really interesting. And um, so they gave me that. The next day, I was speaking at the Calgary Rally downtown. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened there is I got so good. quite upset. <laughs> and Deb can explain that one, too. We actually sat there and cried because I knew my career was oh. over. I, I knew that... I could not abide by their order. Exactly. And the next thing, if I, if I disobeyed that, I'd be charged with insubordination again. And then what they would do is they'd go to court and get a court injunction against me. And then that ramps it up that now Brian can go to jail instead of just dealing with internal charges. So I wasn't willing to go there. And to answer your question why I didn't stick around for the other year or just shut up and not do anything, that's why is because I couldn't live by what they were telling me I could not do. Integrity. Yes. And no money in the world is worth that. No, like a whole year's of salary and then bumped onto a pension or something in the end. That's not worth, what's that worth for? Right. And I can walk away with my head high. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah, so. This is the most applause that our guest <laughs> has had yet. Oh. We're just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to dive into your past a little bit. We think it's super interesting that you were a hate crimes coordinator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, let's, we want to talk about your successes, because even when I interviewed you, your bio was like this long, and I looked at Heather and I said, this is a lot to read. Like, so I let you talk to it. So tell everybody about your successes. You're gonna, you, you need to talk about this. You're amazing. But it's so interesting that you are a hate crimes co coordinator, <laughs> and here you are. Now. I know. So, and then they've <laughs> they've accused me. Yeah. Yes. Even one Jewish guy accused me of throwing the Holocaust, just right. throwing it down like it's nothing. Well, that's not what I did. No. So yeah. So I I was on the street uh, for eleven and a half years, and I worked in three district and four district. Anyone that knows. 
forest lawn and all those areas. Four district was the place to work, like hopping. You'd take a call and you're on the phone calling in that report and you're heading to another domestic or a shooting or like it, that was the place to work and I loved it, <laughs> but it burnt me out. <laughs> <laughs> I would, after 11 and a half years, it, it didn't do my personal life any favors of being that type of policeman where I forgot to hang my uniform up at the end of the shift. I became that policeman. So it was a good break. And the opportunity came up for the hate crimes coordinator. The last guy retired and then, okay. So I put in for it and I got it. I didn't think I'd get it, but I got it. So I went there and um, it was kind of um, like a huge learning curve. And you know, you try to learn as much as you can because you think you know a lot of it from school, but there's a whole lot more that goes along with this. And so th there was a lot of conferences I went to. Um, there are a lot of workshops that we went to. And I was on my way. If I had stayed another year and a half, I would have been in that um, expert testimony witness oh, um, wow. area. Yeah. Because you, you have to um, appear in court and testify on things to get that. So I was just waiting for that opportunity to do it. So I um, dealt with a lot of the skinheads. I don't know if you remember back in 2009 to 12, the skinheads were huge in Calgary and a uh, big neo-Nazi group. And they'd always be downtown. Um, they'd be beating people up, robbing people, stabbing people. Um, so they're a huge group. And I was able to online infiltrate their talk group it was really interesting. Like, um, they just accepted me. Like, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got on there and I was able to talk to them. And two of the fellas on there um, happened to be um, two of the worst guys in Calgary. They actually ended up murdering a fellow named Mariani. And both of them. And I was able to work on that homicide with the homicide detectives because I had an in with them. And they had cameras in their house and everything. And I was able to sit there and talk to them on their chat groups and watch them with their cameras. So I gained a lot of insight into their group. And it was actually fascinating to see how their heads work and how actually messed up these guys really are. And... Um, so that was hate crimes. And then I got to the point in hate crimes um, where I didn't see myself going much further because that group has been disbanded and there wasn't a whole lot going on again. And I've always been a street cop, so I wanted to go back to the street again. And so the next logical jump was to go from there to the beat unit where you do a lot of walking and, and dealing face-to-face. -face. So you're, you're still on the street, you're still doing calls for service, but it's more... Um, you know, stuff that you see happening that you deal with. So that was my crime, hate crime um, portion of it. And it was funny when the video came out and they started writing news articles against me. You know, they're calling me a racist. Hit pieces. I, I know exactly Join what racists club. are, yeah. So they start labeling you yep. to try to diminish who you are. Like, it, that's mainstream media. None of so, the other alternative did that. So when Trudeau came out and called everybody all those names and everything. Is that a form of hate speech? It can be. Um, he is more... Okay, Trudeau is not a smart man. I think he... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He starts throwing out words because he doesn't know what else to say. Yeah. And he doesn't know how to deal with people like you and I. So what he tries to do is demean you. So he's up here, he tries to put you down here. But those words that he used did not do that. Fringe minority, perfect. Boom, we'll call ourselves the fringe minority. Yeah. And we wore it with honor, Yeah. right? So I think what he, you would have trouble convicting him of that because it's more um, towards an identifiable group. Now, we're not listed in the criminal code as an identifiable group. So that's how that leap would be hard to do. Okay. So um, again, I think he used words to try to diminish this group and hopefully that we'd shrink away, which yeah. it, it actually was the reverse. It yeah, grew. Yeah, it grew. Yeah.
So when you left the police force, what were you hearing from your other police officers and any surprises in their reaction to the video that you put out? Um, so I wasn't there when the video came out, so I had already been relieved of right. duty. <laughs> right. So I didn't hear a lot. Now, one of my very best friends that I'd give my life for, we were partners uh, for the longest time. I've done, like, we're on shift we were friends, off shift we were friends. Um, he hasn't even watched my video. He says he can't watch it. But he knows what I had said in there because he saw the little clips that the news put out. And he goes, Brian, I know that you have much more to say. Now, he's on our side, but he just can't watch that. And that's predominantly what I would say from, other than my Frontline for Freedom people that all think the same way I do, uh, other than that, I, I think a lot of them that did actually see that were doing the same thing that Trudeau does, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at this guy. Like, what a loser is he? Like, why is he not going along with this? Um, why is he jumping out of the... Um, jumping out of the service over this. Suck it up and just, you know, away you go. So, so I don't think there was a lot of them out there um, that critically thought through what was really going on. I don't think there was. We were talking upstairs before we came down about the police uh, situation, and this was actually one of this guy's questions because it's bold. <laughs> Is the city police corrupt? Because okay. because we talked about when you went off upstairs, I'm like, we got to talk about yeah. this tonight. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Yeah. Like, yeah. bottle that. So if you think of the hierarchy within the police services, so like inspectors, not so much. Superintendents and above, they direct what a police service does. So they give direction. They give policy. They tell their frontline workers what to do, us. Um, so if you look, if you take a, if you want to use the word corruption, I, I would say that that's a, a stretch of being corrupt. Some of them I'm sure are, mm -hmm. um, but what they've done is they bought into the lies that the government's putting out, right, right down to city hall, uh, the police commission. Um, so the police commission governs what the police chief does. So they're his boss. And the city puts who they would like for two of the members on there. Two of the members that are on there hate the police. Um, none of the members of the police commission have ever been an officer, ever worked in that area. You might get one that was a lawyer. Um, and, that, and that's it. That's their knowledge that they have. And they're directing a police chief on how to police the country. Because what I heard and read about was that the World Economic Forum first infiltrated the municipal governments first and foremost. So that, what you just said, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Right? And, and those guys at the top of big corporations, um, police services, they all have aspirations for something. You know, a, a lot of them want to go into politics, of all things. Like, <laughs> they they want to go into politics after, or they want to move into some big cushy job with, with some corporation. So they're, they're going to toe that line because they don't want to be the shit disturber. They don't want to be the person that says no to the, the, the mayor. Well, if I was police chief, I would have been saying no to the mayor. We're not doing that. Like, let, let's get back to what policing's all about. Let's not cave into actually every little single group that whines and complains, because that's not what policing's about. We're not celebrating every little group. Mm -hmm. We're here to police, to uphold the law. But when you're patronizing every single group, that's where you've gone awry. Get back to the basics. And those police chiefs, um, they turned into the long arm of the government. Yeah. They did. So <clears throat> we're, we're seeing a lot of, um, of these drag queen shows that are starting all over Calgary. We have a mayor who's supporting yeah. grooming. 
right? I'm a survivor of grooming. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse and rape and all that stuff. And so I see it, right? I see the, I see the pattern. So, you know, child trafficking has the attention of people who wouldn't normally talk about it. Can you share from your experience how real it is in our city and in Canada? For trafficking? Yeah. Um, I know we do have a unit yeah. within the Calgary Police Service that mm-hmm. deals with that. Yeah. And I know it's rampant. Um, I know that um, just child pornography alone, which is part of that parcel, yep. uh, is huge. And the people that have been involved in that, even police officers, judges, um, high up people within corporations, people that you wouldn't even think that this person was, is involved in that stuff. Yeah. So it, it lends itself to being that child trafficking, because it's... Um, it, it's done in um, the dark, if you want to put it that way. Yes. It, you don't really see it yep. if you're not looking. And it, it, it t- takes an investigation to find that stuff. And um, I, I think it is um, quite large in this world, what's going on. And uh, it, it horrifies me. I, I have two grown girls, but I also got a granddaughter. And it horrifies me to think that kids live in that and they get trafficked throughout the world. And um, as a dad and all of us, like that's horrifying yeah. to think that. Um, the mayor, um, she's... <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she was put there, um, not voted in. She was mm-hmm. actually put there. I'm thankful that I'm not a Calgarian. I don't live in Calgary anymore because she's not my mayor. Um, I actually have a former policeman as my mayor, which is good. Um, anyway, I think um, she's running um, on the campaign of this is normal. This um, this stuff is good for society. <laughs> um Having a, having a biological male in a female's change room with his wiener out, like, I'm sorry, but as a policeman, if I went to that call, he would have gone to jail. Mm-hmm. That's, that's well, what should have happened. And well, and then we're watching these police officers arresting a pastor for going into protest. I, like- I watched that too, and as I told you, it's usually the same police officers that are doing it. Because I know police officers within, in that same unit that he will not touch it. He will back away. He'll be in the, in the back of the bunch. He'll never do anything like that. Mm-hmm. But there's the certain police officers that they have no problem doing that stuff. And Why? Well, because we're not hiring the right policemen anymore. Uh. When I got hired, I wrote a test with 3,400 people at the UFC. And... and for 24 positions. So their pool of who they're going to get is huge. So you get the right people. You get the people who want to help people, who this is their passion. So those people are no longer being hired by... Yeah. No. Now they hire warm bodies or they have to fit into... The woke agenda. Not just the woke agenda, but you have to be a certain color of skin. Right. You have to be from a certain place in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to have a certain gender identity. They want to cover all the bases because, again, they're coming back to we have to please every little single group. But that's not what policing's about. Policing is about having the best person do the job. You can't just have someone that's, oh, yeah, he, yeah, you know what, he'll fill out a uniform and look good. But you want sound decisions, someone that can make a decision and stick by it no matter what. Like, this is my decision. This is why I did it. Let's like let's move on. So, as part of the exam, is there like moral, ethical? Like, do you get those no. types of questions? No, no. Eh? no. Wow. It's so the the big exam you take takes four hours, and you um, it's a lot of it's aptitude. Yep. Writing an essay, mm-hmm. just you're kind of a half rounded person. There's interviews for those type of questions, but you can ask me anything ethically, I can give you the right answer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
even though I don't believe that. I can give you whatever you want to hear. For sure. And I think some people are doing that now. That's what I was just going to say. That's what we hear every day. <laughs> that, was, that was my first 10 therapists I went to. I told them exactly what they wanted yeah. to hear. Because <laughs> I was saving my job, right? Yeah. Trying to play in the NHL. I was mandated to go to therapy. So they put me in front of these therapists and I'd just tell them whatever they wanted to hear. Yeah. And they would sign my little chit sheet and I'd take it back and I'd get to play the next night. Yeah. <laughs> so... So Theo knows how this works. I know yeah. how it works. Yeah. So I, I just want to set the record straight, though. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of good men yes, and women of course. in law enforcement. Yes. Okay. Um, I know a lot of them, and I'd give my life for them, and I still believe in policing. Now I've been let down by them watching what some of them have done. For sure. Well, they um, let they let you down. Yeah. Right. You were standing for something that was moral, ethical. Um, you know, you discern the truth on your own, figured out that this wasn't right, and you, you unfortunately paid the consequences for not falling in line. So, yeah. Someone who didn't let you down is here tonight, your wife. Yes. Deborah. De Deborah. She, uh... Nice, Deborah. You can wave. And... Um, we have to talk about Deborah. I've always said when, when we know a really great man, there's a fantastic woman behind him. How much time do we have? Because I have a lot uh, isn't to Isn't that awesome? <laughs> um, you know what? Keep talking. Okay, well, <laughs> my wife and I have been married for 34 years. Wow. No, 33 years. Okay, somewhere in there. We've been married a long time. And um, she was kind of the person pushing me in the background when I wanted to be a policeman, like constantly, like, yes, we can do this, yes. She found the tutor for me. She kept spurring me on, and, uh, you know, I'm flying to Winnipeg, and then going back to, I was a painter before, I was going back to painting in Grand Prairie, and then coming to Calgary, and she was always there for me, and she was always my biggest cheerleader to become that. And um, throughout life, even though life got hard sometimes in marriage, she was always there, and, you know, no marriage is perfect. We have always had, you know, there's always something that you're dealing with. But in the end, we've been married 33, 34 years. Um, <laughs> we've been married a long time still, and we're, we're best friends. And so throughout this whole pandemic thing, she was actually um, onto it way before me. And she was actually feeding me a bunch of information that she had been researching. So um, maybe she should have done the video. <laughs> <laughs> but she she's a smart lady um she uh she's able to research it that's how her brain works she just researches and researches and researches where was she researching because that's what i got a lot of is where are you finding this information i don't you're, know you're sending me and i'm going it's not that hard no but it's not mainstream so but i would come home from work and tell her you know there's something this isn't right. Yeah. This isn't happening. She goes, well, yeah, I've, I've been looking around and, you know, this is what I'm finding too. And then I give her my stories and she goes, oh yeah, no, this is just, this isn't, isn't good at all. Like this is, this is a lie. Mm -hmm. What they're telling us is a lie. And um, so anyway, um, but my, my wife has always been by my side. Um, Deb has always been, even on the way here, um, sometimes I don't like it, but on the way here, she's going, okay, now if they ask you this, you can, you can explain about this, 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 and this. Nice. And I've used most of them so far yeah. tonight. <laughs> like, have we, have we missed anything yet? I know. I, so you I put had, it in the back of my, yes, dear, yes, dear. But so you had the interview before you had this one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah. She that's gives good. me all the points to touch on. Yeah, that's oh, good. So, that's good. No. Yeah, that's but good. that's my wife, well, Deb. How did it, I mean, obviously she was supportive of your choice to leave. How did that affect the rest of your family and your friends? And we talked about your colleagues, but family and friends. I mean, I lost pretty much everybody. Mm -hmm. And my mom and her husband are here tonight. So I just want to take this opportunity to say welcome. <laughs> and she, that is my only family member that really. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you got your freedom family. So yeah, <laughs> mom, you always trigger me. 
<laughs> but she didn't, you know. So what was your family and friends? What was your, what were your losses? <laughs> um, so my immediate family, my, my two grown girls and their husbands are totally on side with us, 100%. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, Deb's side of the family, her three sisters, um, and two husbands, and her mom and dad, uh, and our niece, our, our, yeah, our niece, and our nephew, they're in there too. Now, my mom and dad, um, they got suckered into it. They got three, and um, then I started, and Debbie started talking to them, and they've stopped that, but my oldest sister, and she wasn't too bad. She just she was behind the scenes poking my parents about what I was doing, uh, not in a good way. My youngest brother was horrible for me. Oh, horrible. He treated me horribly right down to the point where I'm traveling to Ottawa, and I had to block him because I couldn't take it anymore, what he was saying to me on the phone. Wow. Um, so losses. In the family, that's, that was my losses. Family... I had a really good partner at the end when I was in 6th District. Really good. We vacationed sometimes together. Um, his kids loved me. We would go there and see them. He was a great partner. He did all the paperwork, which I loved. <laughs> um, disowned me. Once that was done, that day I was supposed to work with him. He said, yeah, I waited around to say goodbye to you. I knew it was coming. And then, but he's, he's jabbed to four. So he, like, he hasn't even reached out at all. And we spent four and a half years together. Wow. Like, that's quite something. Mm -hmm. But I do have, like, that, my best friend. Now, he got suckered into it, too. But he stopped. He said, no, I, I totally get it now. Um, but he has stood by, he and his wife have stood by us no matter what. So when something like that happens, you know who your true friends are. And I think you both know exactly who your true friends are in the end. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Those people that are flighty and, and don't want to stick around you during tough times, okay, they're not your true friends and so bad. See ya. Yeah. Well, I found that. I don't know. I told this story a few times at these events, but when I got sober, I had 500 phone numbers in my phone. And I called all 500 numbers and I said, listen, I'm not drinking anymore, not doing drugs, not going to the bars, so don't ask me to do that. But I said, if you'd like to come to my house, I'll cook you a nice dinner. First time in our relationship, we'll actually have a meaningful conversation. You know how many friends I had left? Two. Yeah. Two, two of, the, of the 500. But what's really cool, though, is the 498 have all come back. Mm. Because I went out went on my own healing journey, got some solid time underneath my belt. And then they would see me out and they would be like, holy shit, man, do you ever look good? Like, what did you do? Well, I got sober. I got cleaned up and I cleaned my life up. Yeah. And then they would say, you know, I've been thinking about doing the exact same thing for a long time. And I said, well, I can help you achieve what I've achieved, right? And yeah. so, you know, it's the law of attraction, not promotion. Right. Yep. You know, and I see uh, all of us as people who are out there, you know, taking a stand, standing in our truth. And eventually that's going to bring a lot of people back towards you. And that's what I found even on this journey. I know I take a, a shit kicking online every day, but but, you know, it's like you said, you know, it's those those that one positive comment out of the the whole thing that I'm, I know that I'm reaching yep. that person. I'm giving that person courage. I'm giving that person hope so that they can repeat what, what we're all, you know, doing here. And so that's, you know, that's really exactly. important. Yeah. Yeah. My brain's going to the next question here. <laughs> Cause you said you wanted to talk about Ottawa. Yeah. So Ottawa, um, very fun place to be. It was not, um, for Trudeau, it wasn't a fun place to be, but it was a fun place to be where you're with... He wasn't even there. No, no, no. He was bunkered out. He yeah. skedaddled. He, <laughs> he pooped his pants. He pooped his pants. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this 
is not a fringe minority. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no, Ottawa was um, eye-opening. So I I went last minute. So my friend um, needed someone else to go with them, and I offered, okay, I'll rent the van and I'll, I'll, I'll go. And so I did all the driving, and we first stopped at Niagara Falls. Um, so we did um, the Peace Bridge, which goes between New York and Niagara Falls. We met in the middle of that, freezing our butts off with the water coming up, and we met with Americans in the middle of that. Wow. And so I gave a, a little speech, but there was other people that gave speeches as well, and that was really cool that there was Americans, mm-hmm. and some of them were their members of parliament that were there with those Americans standing with their people. So members of Congress. Con- uh, Congress, yeah. whatever it was. Mm. Um, standing with their people. Wow. And, and actually spoke. And it was really cool to see the difference that we don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have those people standing up speaking with us. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them say they did, but they didn't. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> in Ottawa... Um, <laughs> Um, so I, I was there on behalf of taking back our freedoms and that's who I was helping out. We were there with, um, uh, some of the doctors that they, they had on, on their, their board. And I kind of took it upon myself to be, um, like a tour guide for them Mm -hmm. or, um, security. And that was like herding cats. (laughs) (laughs) One guy. So it was me and one of my friends, two sons that they were they were adults but we were we were herding those doctors around from place to place because they wanted to go talk to people so I found I found that um, I spent a lot of my time doing that but I was up on stage there one day um, freezing my butt off shaking while I was trying to give my speech and uh, but it was incredible to see those people uh, and to see there, there wasn't there, there wasn't what the government was saying was there. Right. These people uh, from, from, from uh, Quebec that were, were getting along with everybody where you'd say, oh, those people from Quebec don't like the rest of us. Right. But they, it was everybody together. Yeah. And there, there wasn't, I walked around till two or three o'clock in the morning a couple nights and there was never a bad thing happening. And I'm a policeman, I see it all. Mm-hmm. Ask Deb, I'll be driving down the street and I'll go, Okay, what's happening yeah. <laughs> there? Like, I see that stuff. It, it did not happen there. Yeah. It was all a lie to get Canadians to look at us the way Trudeau looked at us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't there for the full uh, portion of it. One of the fellas that we went with um, actually had a, um, a problem physically when he was there. So we had a turn and burn at, a, at about just over a week in. So mm-hmm. I pushed him back in the car again, and we came back here. Um, and then we started going to Coots, because oh, now, yeah. now yeah, I'm here. So yeah, now yeah. I'm going to go to Coots and Milk River. And we did that with TBOF, or not TBOF, with Frontline for Freedom as well. A lot of us went down there. So I transitioned. Even though I couldn't be there, I would have loved to have stood on the line with those other mm-hmm. policemen, like against them because I could have spoke some truth into them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I probably would have gone to jail, but it, whatever. Um, but that's what needed to happen, is some truth needed to be spoken into those policemen. Brian, but what freedoms have we lost? Oh, that's, that's the common... That's what I get told all the time. All get the over time. it, Jamie. Yeah. Like, go live in another country. What freedoms have you lost? Like, they, they think we're crazy. I'll just bring up one little one. <laughs> little one how how many and i don't know if the audience knows this how many um medical doctors nurses emts everything in bc have been hired back why so what have we lost my my dad who needs hip surgery now because he's fell it takes forever to get anything there. They yeah. don't have any doctors to do anything. Well, and they canceled all these surgeries tell, saying that the wards were all full. Yeah, that lie. It's all, it's all, yeah, it's all a lie. But we, we have lost a lot. Our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, was flushed down the toilet. Oh, yeah. 
It is, it is useless. They, our government has proven that they don't care about it. They don't. And, and the emergency commission inquiry proved mm -hmm. that it's useless. Yeah. And that people are bought and paid for at the highest levels. And then the puppets just do what they're told. Because they want to get up there. So those puppets want to move up. So every guest we've had on that was went to Ottawa said that there was a real presence of God there. Did you feel that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was also a huge presence of evil. Oh, yeah. And I could feel it. Um, the government, so they had things in the air intercepting our phones. I was getting, I was getting messages that weren't mine. My phone wouldn't work sometimes. Debbie was getting messages that weren't from me. Things, things were going on where they were doing things with our phones. There so was the Chinese? No, not the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> well, they interfered in our election. Yes. I, I, no, that's before the balloons came over. Oh. Right. I just no, but the government like CSIS. Those. Oh. They were they were jamming things and they were, but there there was a. Like once things started turning sour there, you could see it. Right. Even though I wasn't there, there was an evil there as well. Now, when you're talking about that God was moving in that area, I believe so, yes, mm -hmm. during that, 100%. And I am a believer. Yes. And yes, it was happening. Like whenever can you get that many people together that there is nothing happening. There's nobody getting it. Like the only... Um, things that ever went really fast was the hockey pucks when they were playing yeah. shinny on the on the road. Like Just it wasn't um, anything other than a really good summer revival, if you want to call it that. It, it was that type of atmosphere in minus twenty four. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. It's funny because I forgot to bring my boots. Oh man! In, in the hurry to get into the van and go. <laughs> I left them at the front door, so I had sneakers the whole time. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like vans. And there's no insulation in vans, and my no. feet were frozen. But it, it, was, it was, I wish I could have stayed for the whole thing, but I wasn't able to. Yeah. But, yeah. So, the big question, um, and we know you won't have all the answers, but as a man who took an oath to serve and protect... How can we make positive moves towards getting Canada back on track? <laughs> um, like from an individual perspective and then from a collective perspective. So individual, um, we can keep standing up. Like I think someone that can speak boldly and not worry about what that person's going to say. Because... The fear that enters you when you're talking to somebody, put that out of the side because like, you haven't won them over and they don't hate you yet. So speak some truth into them and see what happens. And it comes from an in individual level where if you're able to reach just one person, mm -hmm. just one person, and we, we've talked about this before, is that that's essential because like, yeah, thank you for coming over. Thank you for, for understanding. And even the people who are totally bought into this, if we can win one of them over, like, great. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts. And if one person could do that for one person, and we can magnify that by the how many millions of freedom fighters there are out there, mm -hmm. that's where we can start. And we are doing that. And this show is that. This is what it's all about. Speaking truth into people. Um, to go above that, we need a regime change. Mm -hmm. And that's not just government. Yeah. That's all those officials, right down to chiefs of police and how things are done. Because right now things are, um, our minds are made up for us. They don't seek our, our input. No. No government seeks our input. No. Now, you know, the UCP let me down horribly. Like yeah. Jason Kenney, I voted for the guy. Yep. Um, he let me down horribly. So whether um, Danielle Smith can do something different, I don't know, but there's other alternatives out there. Yes. Right? Yes. 
you know, there's independent party. There's all kinds of things. It starts someplace. But if we keep doing the same old, same old, we're going to get the same old, same old. Yep. The definition of insanity. Exactly. Right? (laughs) So how do you fix this whole thing? I think it's super complex. But if it's one small step at a time, and we've done that over these last three years, we have done that. We have taken those steps and we have moved forward. I think we're winners. I think that we have won, really. Yep. Now, there's been a lot that we've lost. Mm-hmm. But look at, look at our reputation, not Canada's, but our reputation around the world. We spurred on a movement with the truckers around Huge. the world. Yep. Like, yeah, that's, Huge. Well, that's very important. Look what happened in the Netherlands. The Farmers, Farmers Party. Exactly. You know. Well, look what's happening in France. Yeah. Yep. We have to do that. Yeah. Do you think we could do that in Canada? <laughs> we're too we're like too nice, hey? Yeah. Hey. The the problem is is you'll get a you'll get you'll get that handful I'm that'll so do it. I'm sorry. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, that's the problem is mm-hmm. uh, France has been doing this forever. Exactly. They yeah. are very good at what they do when they protest. Yeah. And they don't mind going to jail. But it's like I said earlier in the show, they they know what communist regimes look like. Yes. And so they've been involved in, you know, in their DNA is a lot of rioting and protesting and you yeah. know what I mean? Whereas in Canada, you know, the trucker convoy, the reason why it was so huge and had so much success was it was the first time we ever did something like that in our whole entire history of us being a country for over 150 years. So, you know, it, it, uh, but we see what's happening in parliament today is these guys are imploding and we, we're just kind of sitting back watching them implode. And, And thank God there's still some brave Canadians who work in that system who are willing to blow the whistle on what's going on because otherwise we wouldn't hear this stuff yeah right because because they're so entrenched in getting us to the great reset where we'll own nothing and be happy and eating bugs and you know uh cow farts are are, uh you know (laughs) destroying the planet yeah you know it's it's just so ridiculous like it's so ridiculous the narrative is so ridiculous at this point and if you're not awake at this point, you're never going to be awake. You know, I, I still hold out that we can wake up for sure. I, I really do. And um, I just wanted to kind of circle back to a little bit thing about. But are we going to run out of time about police? No, it's a quick one. No, I mean, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was cutting me off. No, no, no. no. You guys got to go anywhere. You're good. No, I mean, are we going to run out of time? It's going to be too late. Because once digital currency comes in, we're done. Well, I think we can keep pushing and keep pushing until the end. Like, we we can't, you never stop. Yeah. Right. Right? Will we run out of time? Well, if you're a Bible-believing guy, one day you will run out of time. Yeah, Like, things Mm -hmm. are going to change drastically. Mm -hmm. Um, But why were those guys living to their, like, past 200, 300 400 years old. They weren't poisoned. Yeah, we're, we're all poisoned. Right? See, I want to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. Right? I, you know, I, I want to make another comeback in the NHL. So, <laughs> you know, right? No, we're going back to the Olympics in oh, we're gonna, curling. We're the figure curling. skating. Yeah. yeah. We're going to do, yes, yes. Jamie and I are going to be curlers. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That means I'll have to start drinking Did again. Did you even get to talk about <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> Quick story. I remember the Olympic, okay, the opening ceremonies, Dave and I were competing the next day and we were so nervous and we're walking back to the village and we're just like sweating and we're shaking and we're nervous, right? And the curlers were all walking around us, drinking, <laughs> going to get hammered tonight. And Dave and I are like, I haven't had a lick of alcohol in a year. But it, I said, so when Theo and I started doing this, I said, we got to go back to the Olympics in curling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, anyway, yeah. did you get to your point? No, I was cut off. Yeah, <laughs> for time. Do um, we have time? <laughs> I just wanted to say when you're talking about people in the government working in the background, 
um, the police agency is the same. So there, there are those that are thinking like us, that think like us, that want to be, um, they want to work in the background. They don't want to be me, right? So there are those within the police agencies because I know a lot of them. And uh, they are doing that. They're trying to change things from within and they're trying to do things differently when they're the ones on the call. So that is happening. So mm -hmm. that comes back to that whole thing that there's still a lot of really good policemen yeah. out there. Yeah. Well, we're just going to finish this tonight and I, we could talk to you all night. I'm sure they could listen to you for hours too, but uh, <laughs> tell us what you're up to now. Well, uh, does anyone need a paint job? <laughs> I am. Uh, so I still go around and I, I, I kind of take in a little bit of time off. I visited my parents for a couple months. Um, and then I've been enjoying our granddaughter, mm -hmm. uh, which she's the cutest thing. Anyone wants to see a picture after we got them. <laughs> um, so I've been doing that. I just been kind of laying low for a little while. Um, so I started up a painting company because that's what I did before I was a policeman. I've done it ever since I was 18. So add that up on 59. I've Blue line, time. right? Blue line painting. So the I thin, still, I still hold, line. yes, I still hold that blue line the thin blue line is very near and dear to me because that's who I was. I was that, that blue line that stands between good and evil. Yeah. And that's what a policeman is. Don't let anyone tell you the thin blue line is anything different. Right. We, we recognize uh, the sacrifices that those that have given their lives on the job for mm -hmm. with that. So it is very precious to a policeman. So I thought, oh, I'm going to turn that into just my name mm -hmm. for my my painting company and it so it's still got a little bit of the the policeman in it yeah. but i'm back to the basics of what i was before i became a policeman and um it's a little bit difficult to be um just normal brian again i'm used to standing with my hand on my gun belt in a certain way and i don't know how to stand sometimes now i put my fingers in my pockets or <laughs> like you do that for 24 years and you just got this it's like playing hockey. I miss my hockey stick. Yeah, it's yep, like for sure. It's it's just weird. Yep, so I'm still like trying girls, to get the girls in the pictures do. You got to put your hand up and yeah. No, pose. I wouldn't do good with I'm that. I'm teasing you. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Do you miss it? Policing, I do. Yeah, that's uh, the aspect of it of helping people. And mm -hmm. anybody that knows me, I'm that kind-hearted man that can cry, and being able to help people uh, was something that I really wanted to do. And my parents, my, my, my dad is a Baptist minister and he's been that since he was 19 and he's 86. So he's a long time. Um, but I was brought up in that and he never thought like, Oh man, that's going to destroy Brian. And it had a point in there that I was kind of, you know, I was turning, um, it, I was hardening, but I turned that around again and I've kept that, same Brian that I came into it again in the end. And that's who I still am. And that's who I want to be. And I'll always be constable Brian Dennison. Yes. Because I, I use that constable word as someone that wants to help. Yes. And I'll, I'll still be that. So, um, just don't call me that because the police agency doesn't like that. But, <laughs> um, but that's who I essentially still am to me. There was a great comment from that gentleman right there. Sorry. But you said earlier that, you're gonna you're gonna be part of what the new system will be, yes. and it'll be yeah. better. Yeah, right? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. amazing, yeah. amazing. Well, the greatest piece of advice you were ever oh given in your whole entire life. <clears throat> As we close out the show, give us some Brian Dennison wisdom. Oh. The greatest piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Was this uh, part of our questions? Nope. No, no, it oh. isn't. You, you, is... didn't, you didn't prep me for this. I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I usually can like I usually can control some of this because but... because you <gasps> don't you don't just become the man that you are and what you did without having some core base of something that makes you Morality. the guy you are today. Okay. Right. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, I got this. <laughs> it, it's not it's not a piece of advice, but I live my life. I am a believer 
in Jesus. Yes. He saved me. Mm-hmm. And he paid the price for my sins. And he gave me the opportunity to do what I did. It wasn't me. Right. He helped me through all those steps to become who I was, was it the policeman. So if anything, it is that God is real. God wants to enter into your life. Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sin. Mm-hmm. And all he wants us to do is accept them. Yes. So to me, that would be my advice for anybody or how I live my life. Yeah. That's the core essence of, of yes. who I am. Wow. Beautiful. You know what's interesting is that you speak to people that had their awakening through this whole pandemic, and pretty much everybody talks about if they didn't have a relationship with God, they do now. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. I mean, that's my story too. And everyone, because my new tribe or sorry, I should say my tribe is all these new people. Yeah. And we all have said the same thing. It's it's so beautiful. Brian, we are so grateful that you took the Thank time to come me. here tonight and share with our audience and and uh, so many others speaking in the rallies and across Canada. You're you are a true Canadian hero. You really are. You. I'm so grateful to know you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Deborah, for being an amazing wife and your family's just incredible to support you. And thank you for being a part of Canadians for Truth. Yes, thank you. Your for family me. now. You're stuck yes. with us. Yeah, good. Yes. I'll, I'll come back next week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> come hang out in the, in the office. And obviously, yes. thank all of you for coming. Thanks for supporting Canadians for Truth. Um, you know, the reason why we created this organization was not. Uh, I always say this is the last thing I want to be doing in my life. This is the last place I want to be. I'd rather be on a golf course somewhere enjoying my retirement. I've had two careers already, but, you know, I have kids and I will have future grandkids and I want them to have the same opportunities and the same life uh, that I was able to, to have. And so, you know, better actually. For sure, better, yeah. always, yeah. always better. Um, but Canadians for Truth is is not only for what we're, we've created, but without you guys, you know, we don't have a Canadians for Truth. And so thank you for watching our, all of our shows and sharing all of our interviews and coming to our events because, you know, it means a lot to us because her and I stand out um in the crowd and we take a lot of shit and abuse you know every day and so when we do events like this and we do shows like this and we get to meet all of you before and after the show it just makes us more determined to keep doing you know what we're doing so we appreciate you guys and we want to thank you for supporting us we appreciate it mm-hmm.